This is the SFF Audio Podcast. I'm Scott. This is Jesse. And this is Steve Feldberg from Audible.com. Well, welcome, Steve. <coughs> oh, thanks, guys. We're definitely familiar with Audible.com. <laughs> are you, uh, what do you do at Audible.com? Let's just start there. Um, you... Well, I think uh, most relevant to talking to you guys is uh, one of the big concentrations I have is uh, trying to get as many great sci-fi and fantasy books into audio as possible. And, uh, you know, so along those lines, I'm really out there, you know, you have to acquire audio rights uh, from the authors or the publishers, and then we kind of shepherd that through into production, and we produce all our own stuff, obviously, um, mostly in our studios and our headquarters in Newark, New Jersey. Uh And so that's been a big concentration of mine for the last couple of years, is really, um, you know, we we looked at the availability of sci-fi and fantasy and audio, and there just wasn't as much out there as we would like to see and also as our customers would like to see. And we would get, you know, as you might imagine, requests all the time for why isn't this an audio, why isn't that. And so we decided that we needed to do a lot of that ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I think we've been pretty successful over the last couple of years of really expanding what's available and also, you know, working with the other audio publishers who are out there to, to also get them excited about the category and to produce more themselves, which which they've done. So I think, you know, about a year and a half, two years later after we started this effort, I think we've done a really good job along with our partners to just make a lot more available um, in audio. You've done an and incredible job, really. I, I've, been, I've been so enthused since uh, you know, sort of drove that, but wh- whoever whoever's idea to start, you know, pushing pushing new content, really has taken off to an, an extent I, I couldn't have even imagined this like two years ago. It, it was yeah, you guys sort are, of a dead zone there. Well, when I look at the uh, the science fiction category on Audible, you're over twenty five hundred titles, and in yeah, and, the I, and I think that that's... go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I think that even compared to two years ago, it's probably at least double. Yeah. Maybe, you know, yeah. maybe more than yeah. that was available. And, uh, yeah, 244 is what I'm showing are Audible Frontiers titles. And, and Audible it's Frontiers, just so we're clear, that's the, that's the imprint you're publishing under. Um, yeah, we, you know, we, we decided that one of the ways to kind of unify what we were doing and the efforts that we were making was to create this imprint, which is really just a way of, uh, you know, telling our customers and telling folks that these are things that we've actually produced ourselves. And, you know, I think it, it in the end, it doesn't really matter to people. A good listen is a good listen. But, you know, we like to also let people know that this has been a big interest of ours and we've been trying to fill a gap that we think existed for our, for our customers. Um, so, yeah, you know, it's a way to just kind of unify the effort and, and communicate it to people. Well, what's uh, been your philosophy as you compile these? Are you, what, what are you looking well, for? Well, it's, it's been a couple of things. One is um, trying to get classic works, you know, books that have really stood the test of time that have just not been available <clears throat> in audio uh, to our customers because, you know, as you might imagine, we've got a wide range of ages and experiences and and all that. And so we have people who, you know, are probably in their 50s and 60s who, 
uh, either grew up or really cut their teeth on, uh, you know, Robert Heinlein and Arthur C. Clarke and the, the kind of the real classic stuff. But then we also want to be as aggressive at publishing new books as we possibly can. And, you know, my, my philosophy has been twofold. One is the books that I always loved that, you know, I just think is a, a, a sin that they're not in audio. And so that's been really nice for me because the, the stuff that I read when I was, uh, you know, a teenager and in college especially, it's really satisfying to be able to bring that to a, a new audience. And in essence, a lot of the time, I mean, a lot of these books are still in print, but you're, it's almost like you're republishing them. Mm-hmm. You know, that by putting them in front of people who maybe Let's... never got around to reading, uh, you know, Fred Pohl or Clifford Simak or authors like that, it's almost like it's brand new for them. And yeah, then, that's, uh, that, those, those are the titles I was expecting you to, to say. The, you know, those are the ones that you've chosen. Gateway uh, has got an introduction by Robert Sawyer, and it's, apparently that's Robert Sawyer's favorite novel. Yeah, um, and that, you know, that's you, kind of an interesting opportunity where it's a great book that I always loved. It uh, wasn't available in audio. And then just in kind of chatting with Rob Sawyer, you know, over time where he mentioned a couple of books that were his favorites, it's a way to, um, you know, to, to say if you may not be familiar with Fred Pohl, or you may, but here's, a, you know, here's an author who you may like, Rob Sawyer, who's telling you why this is a great book to listen to. And, it, you know, it's a nice mm-hmm. combination, I think. Yeah, that, that book especially um, probably had some audio challenges to it. Yeah, it had a few, and what was interesting about that is um, you know, we did both Gateway and Man Plus, which are two just great, great And, you know, we did, I did have a little communication with Fred Pohl about um, adapt, you know, a couple of adaptations we had to do in order to make um, Gateway in particular work in audio. And, you know, it's great. So just, you know, kind of ran a few things by him and said, what do you think about this? And uh, he said, fine. And we, you know, note when you look at the description of it, we note that a few text changes were made with his approval. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that, that, that's always a challenge. It's less of a challenge uh, with fiction than with nonfiction sometimes. But even in fiction, you know, if you think about books that rely on changes in typeface, mm-hmm. you know, to communicate something where... You know, it's really, there's something, there's a visual cue in the manuscript and in the text that helps you kind of figure out who's talking at this particular point. Or, you know, there are some books where you you actually do funny things with the typeface in order to communicate something. Those are challenges when you turn them into audio because you have to figure out how to translate that for the year. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's what I thought of when I saw that book. I definitely need to give it a listen because it is a great Yeah, it's really great. great. Book. Great book. Really great. And who narrated and I, that? Oh, you're going to start asking me oh, these things off no, the top I'll of my head. Up. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if I, you know, I should be sitting in front of my computer with no, the side No, that's up. fine. We, we are sitting at our computers, so. Oh, there you go. We so, like, you can beat yep. me to the punch. There it is. Uh, Oliver Wyman. And he's great. You know, yeah, he's he terrific. Is. I mean, we, we're very fortunate in that we work with um, just some really great narrators, and particularly people who uh, are fans of sci-fi. I mean, uh, you know, Jonathan Davis is a good example. Um, Jonathan's been narrating audiobooks for years and years. He did some of the Star Wars books. And we're really fortunate to be able to work with him. He's an incredible narrator. 
he narrated Calculating God, Rob Sawyer's book, which won the Audi Award this past year for Best Sci-Fi and Fantasy, and he does a fantastic job on that. If you're familiar with that book at all, there's, mm-hmm. you know, there's an alien and then there's humans. And the alien uh, actually has two mouths. And it's part of the book, you know, that the alien kind of t- has a, an interesting way of talking. And he made a really interesting creative choice about how to render the alien's voice. And it's just a great, great listen. Yeah, but, you know, th- one of the nice things about doing all this stuff in our own studios, in our own building, is that you get a lot of feedback from the narrators who are really the ones who are on the front lines, and they have to read the books really carefully, prepare them, make choices about uh, voices or how they're going to, to read the book. And they're actually the best judge most of the time about how good the thing is going to turn out. And I know that you know Jonathan in particular, uh, Mark Vidor is another narrator who we use a lot for sci-fi, um, Christian Rummel who's done a bunch of books for us. These guys come out... And when they're enthousi- enthusiastic about the process, which is a you know it's a long process. I mean, you don't go and sit down and a couple hours later the thing has been read. Um, it can take days, and so it's something that they have to live with for a period of days. And when they come out and they're enthusiastic about something, you know that it's going to turn out well. Um, a really good recent example, I think, with Jonathan is uh, you guys. Do you guys know Paolo Bacigalupi? Yeah, yeah. Well, mm-hmm. he's a short story writer, mostly the wind-up girl. I think is uh, right, and that's uh, you know a very a really good example. Apollo's a great, great writer, and he has a lot of interesting ideas. His his stories are really dense with ideas, and his uh, the wind-up girl is his debut novel, which we uh, produced and has been in the store for I don't know about three or four weeks now. And when I read uh, when I read the manuscript months ago, I was really, really enthusiastic about it. But, you know, with somebody who is, a, you know, essentially a debut novelist who may not be known well, and the book was published by a, you know, fairly small press, not one of the major publishers, it's a bit of a risk to go in there, and, you know, these things cost money. You're making a decision that you're going to spend your money on a particular project as opposed to something else. And once we got in the studio and Jonathan Davis was reading this book, he would just come out and just tell me how great he thought it was. He said, this is the best thing that I've read in years. Oh, neat. And he's a guy who's read a lot That's of great. science fiction. Uh. Um, and the result is fantastic. Uh, it's, um, you, you know, if you, if you guys are looking for a next book to listen to, I'd really point you to that one. It's, it's a fantastic Okay, fantastic well, I'm going to get that one next. Yeah, that and Jonathan great. does a great job on it. But, you know, I, I like that kind of feedback because, you know, it goes the other way also. We have people who come out and say, oh, this is dreck. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm just dreading reading this. And that's unfortunately <laughs> happens not very often, mm-hmm. you know, which is part of, you know, it's really part of the, the whole process, which is editorial selection. I mean, you guys started asking about how do you pick stuff. And I think it's twofold. One is, as I said, books that have just stood the test of time that are kind of no-brainers. You know, it's it's pretty easy to identify books by, you know, Arthur C. Clarke to do an audio or, you know, Hammer by uh, Niven and Purnell or The Mode in God's Eye or yeah. you know, the, the Hyperion books by Dan Simmons, which we've done, uh, Roger Zelazny, you know, and on and on. Those are, those are really no-brainers. You know that they're going to be good. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, the newer, it's the newer books that you have to, after a while, just develop a sense of two things. One is 
what do our customers want, which is the most important thing. What, what are they going to buy? And, you know, and sometimes that's a matter of figuring out that they've bought similar things by these authors, and so this one ought to work. You know, if military sci-fi does really well for us, which it does, it, it's not that hard to figure out that if you've got a similar author who writes about similar things, that it's going to work well. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's definitely a, you know, a Battlestar Galactica, Stargate crowd out there that really likes sci-fi with a military, that kind of tinge to it. Sure. So it's not too hard to figure that out. But in some cases, it's really um, getting a chance early on to read a manuscript and getting excited about it, which, um, you know, I think The Wind-Up Girl is a perfect example of just something I was really excited about when I read it. So you well, One of the Jonathan thing. Davis titles I was... I was I was wondering, uh, could you tell us is uh, the last Starship novel, Mike Resnick's Jonathan Davis? Yes. Uh, is that coming December? Yep, that's gonna that's, that's gonna be coming out in uh, in December, and I think if I remember correctly, it's coming out on December twenty second, and okay. that's a, you know, and that's a fun series. He's really enjoyed doing those, and I think those are also the the Starship series by Resnick is a very good introductory series, if you haven't done a lot of audiobook listening because they're very accessible. They're not as long as some other books. They're probably about eight hours long. And Jonathan's a great narrator. And that's, a, I think, a good kind of gateway series that people are looking to start listening for the first time. Absolutely. I, 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 think, I think it's a, ter- a terrific sort of so, space opera series. Mike Resnick writes so, so well, and Jonathan Davis... It, it, they're very talky books, and Jonathan Davis does a terrific job with them. Yeah, and they're also very, they're very, as you say, kind of um, dialogue-driven, which works very mm-hmm. well in audio. You know, it works really well in it audio. It does. Uh, you know, another, I think on the other end of the spectrum, something that takes a little bit of, a lot more time commitment are David Weber's Honor Harrington books, which mm-hmm. we've been, you know, making our way through, and by the end of this year, we'll actually have the entire series available. You know, those are big, whopping, 30-hour, uh, you know, epic, epic books, but very engaging and the kind of thing that once you listen to the first one, and I think uh, there are 11 in all in the main series. Once you start listening to those, they're also really, really engaging. And a little bit different also because it's a female voice. Um, you, you know, I think a lot of people think of science fiction as being very male-dominated, but there are some series out there that have you know, female characters that I find to be especially engaging. So there's, you know, David Weber's Honor Harrington books. Another series that we produced is Mike Shepard's Chris Longknife series, which also has a female main character, but it's very military sci-fi, and people really seem to like those. Um, one of our partners, Tantor Media, has done uh, the Vatas War series by Elizabeth Moon. Hmm. And, you know, I think those are, uh, you know, particularly for female listeners, a pretty good gateway into, into sci-fi because they have very, very strong um, female central characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the things uh, I've enjoyed about what you've done, you've published uh, a number of novelettes and novellas. Um, you see that going in the future, or did they just not do well enough to keep going? You know, it's interesting because uh, it's, it's really no different in audio than I think in just in books in general, that short fiction is just not as uh, successful as novels. Uh, 
Uh-huh. And that's true not just in sci-fi and fantasy. It's true everything from, you know, Ernest Hemingway's short stories to uh, Stephen King's short stories to whatever. I mean, there there are definitely... There are collections of short fiction that do well. Um, but as a rule, it's a little bit tougher a tougher go. But what we, you know, what we decided was that there's just a number of great stories out there that would be great for audio. And we did actually try to put as many, uh, particularly Hugo-winning novellas into audio as possible. <laughs> and of course, you know, the, one of the arguments against what I just said was our project Metatropolis that we did about a year ago, mm-hmm. you know, which is five connected novellas, uh, which did, you know, spectacularly well. Yeah, that was true. So there's always, you know, it's a cliche to say that there's always an exception to the rule, but there are definitely exceptions to the rule. It just kind of depends on uh, what's happening at a particular time, what people are looking for. And I, you know, I think with Metatropolis also, we did a pretty successful job of communicating that these are not just five random stories that have been lumped together, that there's actually a connected thread. And it really feels a little bit more like a novel than five disconnected yeah, stories. Yeah, that's something, you know, I haven't seen for a long time. It was really kind of refreshing and new, even though, you know, there have been similar things in print in the past, um, but but I thought it was terrific. It was very well known. Yeah, well, it was, you know, that was a project that was just so much fun to do, and mostly because of the uh, a chance to work with the authors who were involved. I mean, John Scalzi, uh, Toby Bakel, Jay Lake, Elizabeth Baer, and Carl Schrader, these guys are all great writers. I mean, the one thing that I wanted to accomplish with that project was just to find people whose writing I liked and be able to do something together. And it also, there was a, they all kind of knew each other to begin with. I mean, they all were somehow connected to each other in some way, either just socially, people that they had were friendly with. It was kind of a nice chance for, for them to work together also. And what made it interesting was that there was a huge amount of collaboration in that project. And it wasn't just collaboration before they started writing, but it was collaboration all during the writing process where they, you know, brainstormed really for months about what the overall structure of this world they were creating should be. But then as they were writing, they were comparing notes and looking at drafts to make sure that they were keeping that integration all the way through. And the stories themselves stand alone. It's not like they're five stories that feature the same characters. Really, the only shared character is the structure of the world that they created. But they each then found a particular inn in that world that interested them. Um, and, you know, I think the results were, were really, really great. Um, and, and, you know, we were nominated for a Hugo Award for that, so I, mm-hmm. I think... Yeah, that you was know, I neat. think that that was pretty good validation. Tough, tough category. <laughs> it was a tough category. We lost to Wally, so I don't know if I feel, you know, bad about that you or not. Feel but too it was bad difficult. about that. No, not at all. But uh, definitely anything, another anything? another cliche that's true is that it was a an honor to be nominated. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anything similar in the works in the future? Uh, I think I can't, you know, announce anything in particular, but I think there's a very reasonable chance by the end of next year that one or two spin-off things may come out of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, we're right. definitely, you know, we're all definitely talking about what to do next. And, um, you know, so I, I'm pretty confident that if we were talking next year at this time, we probably would be talking about something at least related to that effort. Yeah. 
And the well, the narrators you used in that were fun too. It, it, what uh, what convinced you to bring in some Galactica folks? Uh, you know, a couple of things. One is the obvious, um, you know, sales advantage, which is, uh-huh. and promotion advantage. You know, BSG was incredibly. That was kind of its moment. Mm-hmm. You know, a year ago, it was really at that <clears throat> moment where the the series was about to wrap up. There was a lot of attention being paid to it, and you know, it's not. It doesn't take a genius to figure out that there are a lot of Galactica fans out there, and so that that would be an obvious attraction for people to hear, you know, some of their favorite actors narrate. And they were great. Uh, you know, narration is a real, it, audiobook narration is a very particular skill. Um, it's not just somebody who's got a good voice or is a good actor. I mean, it's a very, very particular skill set. And just because, you know, I thought Michael Hogan has a great voice, doesn't necessarily mean Terrific he's going to be voice. successful. You know, uh, Alessandro Giuliani, it actually turned out that um, Alessandra had done some audiobook narration in Canada before, and I think Hogan had done a little bit. Um, but Candace McClure, who played Duala in the series, had never done it before, and she did a great job. But it, it also could have been a spectacular did the, uh, he, he did the. Uh, uh, he did John Scalzi's story. <coughs> he, but he also did the podcast version of uh, Robert J. Sawyer's novel uh, for CBC Radio that just aired. Um, yeah. Uh, roll. Yeah, and I actually thought I thought of the three of them. He was he was the best. I mean, he really had it. He's very good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, very very good. And then we, um, you know, we also we, we we kind of had this idea that the team of narrators would be an all star team of narrators, alongside the all star team of writers. So we um, brought in Scott Brick, who's you know one of the best known audiobook narrators out there, and has done all the Dune books and so many other things, and um, Stefan Rudnicki, who has done, uh, you know, the vast majority of Orson Scott Card's books, including Ender's Game, which uh, Ender's Game is, you know, remains our all-time best-selling title mm. in the oh, category doubt. at Audible. Yeah, it's terrific. Yeah, just out of curiosity, do these folks, you mentioned that you have an in-house studio, these folks all do their work at your place, or do they do it this was actually a, a this was a rare project for us in that we did it in other places. Um, the the Battlestar folks are all up in the Vancouver area. That's where they were shooting the show, and so mm-hmm. we um, we did their work up in. Actually, two of them were in uh, the Vancouver area, um, and then some of it was done. Stefan Rudnicki works out of the West Coast, and actually, um, Candace McClure went down to him. And I'm trying to remember. Who's, and then Scott Brick is also based on the West Coast, so they basically uh, did all of their work out there. So it was uh, an unusual project for us in that it was done by remote control. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. One project I wanted to ask you about. Uh, I noticed it popped up. I think it was on uh, the Twitter feed. It said um, St- Steve Feldberg's favorite book of the moment, Hopscotch, by Brian Garfield. Oh yeah, you know, I'm also, you know, I do obviously a lot of sci-fi and fantasy, but I also uh, am out there looking for mystery and thriller books, and um, it, that was just a great, I, I kind of like, I kind of like these sort of Cold War era spy novels, you know, it's one of the things that I like reading, and Hopscotch 
it's kind of an obscure book by Brian Garfield is the same guy who wrote Death Death Wish, which was the basis for the Charles mm-hmm. Bronson movie, which we also produced in audio. Um, and Hopscotch is a book that's about thirty five years old, I would say, mid seventies. Yeah, and it's very much that kind of yeah, very much that kind of Cold War era spy novel, and it's about a retired CIA guy who decides that he wants to just, you know, send everybody on a wild goose chase. And one last time, he's kind of bored with being on the sidelines, and he uh, starts writing this book about all the inner secrets of the CIA, and of course, both the Americans and the Russians are out to, you know, out to stop him before he reveals too much. And it was actually I'm made into a, a movie. Excellent. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, you know, the movie's it's, a it's comedy, fun. though. <laughs> that, yeah. That's the one thing I was surprised by. I'm halfway through the book, and it's very noir-ish. It's not noir per se, but it's very dark. And, and yet I, I noticed Walter Matthau is the star in the movie, so it didn't make me think that it was very faithful to the spirit of the book. Yeah, no, the movie is a lot more lighthearted. It's definitely a lot more lighthearted. But um, what you find, you know, if you, if you read enough books that are made into movies, as you know, the, mm-hmm. You know, the book to the movie, there's often, uh, you know, a lot of stuff lost in translation or, you know, the studio needed a project for Walter Matthau at the time and decided that it had to be funny as opposed to being really serious. Um, you know, it, I think an interesting example of that is the uh, movie Three Days of the Condor that starred sure. Robert Redford. The book, the original book, which we also actually produced an audio by James Grady, is called Six Days, Five Days of the Condor. Of the Condor. Oh, yeah, okay. So, six days. To yeah, so somehow, you know, when they made the movie, they decided that six days was too much and it would be much better if it was three days. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm wondering, though, it, it says it's it, it says Audible Inc. is the publisher. Is there no plan to bring out a mystery or noir uh, division of Audible? It, 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 like, you've got the Audible Frontiers. I'd love to see uh, a mystery crime sort of subgenre of your own imprint, if, if is that a possibility? We haven't really talked about it. You know, one of the things in mystery thriller is that out of all the categories of books that we have, of audiobooks that we have, it's probably the least underserved. In other words, you know, pretty much everything, uh, there's a lot of, lot of audiobooks, a lot of mysteries and thrillers being produced in audio. So what we tried to do is we tried to identify um, just sort of interesting older books and then and then some new books that just have not made it into audio for one reason or another. It's a little bit less systematic, I think, than the sci-fi effort that we've done. So we haven't quite looked at it yet as being an actual imprint. I think that what it would take to make it an imprint would be a very, very specific focus, like, you know, if we decided that noir, that that's kind of subgenre that's yeah. being underserved. Um, well, the Jim Thompson, all Jim Thompson's novels have, are completely out of print in audio, and I, I got to tell you that they're some of the best audio I've I've ever heard. Is is uh, the Jim Thompson novels? There's maybe six of them. That yeah, and I've been so on that. Fantastic. I've been on that case actually. Um, it so far has not been an easy thing to crack. You know, one of the things I think I that people don't, you know, people uh, I think don't necessarily realize that you. It's not a matter of just saying. Let me take this book and make an audio book out of it. At least if you're going to sell it, you know, if you're going to, if you want to make money off of it, you have to actually yeah. figure out who controls the rights to that book. 
and sometimes the party that owns the audio rights is not necessarily the author, it can be the publisher. And, you know, there's a lot of negotiation that goes on there. Um, sometimes, you know, it's particularly complicated when you're dealing with an estate because sure. then you might have, uh, you know, this isn't the case with Jim Thompson necessarily, but it's been the case with other deceased authors that you've got, you know, three, you got two sons and a daughter, and they're fighting with each other. And so trying to actually unwind uh, the rights and all that becomes really, really difficult and problematic. Um, so it's, you know, it's, a, it's an interesting puzzle, though. I mean, it's a very interesting puzzle to crack a lot of the time. Um, you know, try to figure what, out. What about um, uh, hard case crime? I, I was talking with the editor of Hard Case Crime, uh, and they've got a deal with BBC Audiobooks America, uh, who who picks their catalog and and publishes them, I guess. Uh, and then you guys, uh, you know, you get them through Audible uh, or BBC Audiobooks America. Um, right. But um, you know, those, they're interesting. In fact, the I. I amazing it, there's yeah. some amazing new stuff in there that's not getting getting you know the attention in audio that it really deserves some yeah and I've been Faust. talking with them I've been talking with them also about the possibility of picking up the, the books that have not made it to audio and you know sometimes it's uh, not even sometimes I mean it's always a business decision you know you have to assess assess the expenses of actually producing it versus what you think uh, the customers want and how well you think it's going to do. So I have to I have to take a closer look at those. But yeah, there's definitely more really interesting books that just have not made it into audio from there. I mean, you know, our main goal is to get as many books in audio as possible. But there's still going to be a bottom line. You know, we have our resources to expend and we have to decide what's the best and most um, you know what's what are the best things what are the best places to spend that money with the best results um, I will tell you you know there is a book that you guys might be really interested in in fact I'm just finishing listening to it now which is a, a also a debut novel a debut kind of crime novel called The Ghosts of Belfast which is by an author named Stuart Neville he's an Irish writer and it's a fantastic fantastic listen um, it's, again, an example of a book where I had a chance to read the manuscript months ago and just thought it was terrific. And I think, oh. you know, every once in a while it's nice to see that you're actually right. Um, it's, a, it's an audiobook that's narrated by Gerard Doyle, who, for sci-fi and fantasy fans, he's the voice of uh, Aragon and Bursinger, you know, the Christopher Paolini books. Mm -hmm. And okay. the, the story is about a former IRA, Irish Republican Army thug, who now is trying to expiate his sins. And uh, it's a really terrific book and just a great listening experience. But I think that anybody who's listened to uh, Aragon would really appreciate it because Gerard Doyle is a fantastic, fantastic narrator and, you know, is spot on on the, the various Irish accents, Scottish, British, you know, it's the whole combination of that in this book. And it's just a, a really good, compelling story. Uh, that does sound good. I'm gonna I'm gonna check that one out. Um, uh, I'm curious. I, I'm li you know I'm listening to uh, Hopscotch, and I noticed the narrator's name Jonathan Gage, I think it or somebody Gage. Um, right. Yet uh, his voice is so familiar. I think I think he read a Lawrence Block uh, novel uh, 
in the 90s um, just terrifically well, but I, I don't remember him under that name. Have you got a, a pseudonymous uh, That's a good uh, question. Narrator? I don't know. It's, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's Jeremy Please. Gage is his name. And okay. uh, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, stage actors or people who are actors, you know, sometimes will change their names for various kinds of work that they do, but that one I can't tell you about. But now okay. you've got me curious. Um, I know, like, uh, books on tape used to have uh, Grover, Grover Gardner reading under Tom Parker's, or maybe it was Blackstone, and I, I, I understand how what the reasoning was for for um, yeah, for, for or short story writers. You've got three stories in in a magazine, and uh, you know two of them are the, by the same guy. It, it looks bad on the cover so you just give the guy an A but I, I don't I never understood the logic for yeah it beats for me audiobooks <laughs> narration okay okay yeah it totally beats me um, uh, we'll, we'll keep we'll keep it in that one <clears throat> yeah in, in the show uh, Steve we, we always talk about um, what's new out there and uh, just looking at uh, Audible Frontiers I see you've got some uh, Mercedes Lackey out there I haven't seen yeah, we her just, uh, very often. Yeah, it's her Elemental Masters series, which is um, an interesting fantasy series in that they're loosely connected books, but the the kind of thesis behind the books is that each one is based on a fairy tale. And so she takes a fairy tale like Puss in Boots and creates a story around it that has, you know, some of the progression of the plot, but it's very, you know, very loosely based on those. And I think, you know, a good example of an older series, I think the most recent book in the series was written a couple of years ago, um, that just, you know, was never done in audio. She's got a, a huge fan base. Yeah, yeah. And they were, you know, they're very interesting books. I, I think a good example of a series where you actually don't have to read them in any, or listen to them in any particular order. Well, they all kind of stand alone, but as a group, they definitely are tied together. Interesting. Yeah. I also noticed that the, there's a new Robert Sawyer novel there, Starplex. Yeah, Starplex, which is really an old Robert Sawyer uh, sure, sure. novel. But, uh, and, you know, one of his, I mean, we, we've, you know, built up quite a relationship with him as far as producing his books um, in audio. And, in fact, next year, we, we, this year started, he has a new trilogy that he started this year called the WWW Trilogy. Very, very interesting um, we published the first one this year, and then book two will be coming out, uh, I think it's next April, and then book three the following year. And um, those are actually really good productions. They're multi-voice productions. And the fun thing about the first book in the series, which was WWW Awake, is that Sawyer makes a little cameo appearance here and there as a narrator. And... <laughs> We we found Need a little a, spot. Yeah. He, uh, he, uh, any he, any uh, word on whether we can get uh, the, his first novel, um, his first novel, the golden favorite of his. Um, uh, uh, if, if if you can ask Robert Sawyer, he's our next next interview. <laughs> yeah, I think you were breaking up there a little bit, but he was talking about the Golden Fleece. If you haven't, uh, if you didn't hear him. Steve. Oh, okay. Yeah, you know, there's there's always a chance that we'll do so more. I, I think start. You, Starplex is a good example where you know, we kind of went back and said, you know, what else is there that um, that really should be an audio, and that was one of them. Mm -hmm. 
Well, I highly recommend. I highly recommend Golden Fleece. It's a it's a mystery science fiction, uh, hard science fiction, murder mystery, uh, set on a spaceship, and it's it's really terrific. Yeah, you know, if so, you if you guys like that kind of combination of sci-fi and mystery, there's um, a series that I really like by um, Chris Rush, Christine Catherine Rush, called Retrieval Artist, which sure. really are you know mysteries in space. And, um, you know, it's an interesting case of a series where the earlier books were essentially out of print. And by producing them in audio, we're basically putting them back into print. Um, and they've been very, very successful. And she's a, a terrific writer. And those are, that's a fun, interesting series, yeah, um, especially if you like both of those categories, if you like mystery and sci-fi. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And, you know, we've got a couple of things coming up I think you guys will get excited about. We... Um, in December, are going to be bringing out some of William Gibson's books that haven't been in audio before. Oh, neat! Um, and that—that's uh, Mona Lisa Overdrive and Count Zero, Zero oh, and all, all Tomorrow's Parties. So that's coming uh, in early December, which is, I think is—is is Neuromancer out there unabridged? Well, it's going to be someday. We hope. Oh, okay. Uh, I know of an abridged version, but I didn't know of an unabridged version. There yeah, is an unabridged version, but. Uh, it's books on tape and it's out of print. Oh, yeah, it's totally out of print. So we're, you know, we're hoping well, some of these things take time, and we're hoping that that will happen a in new, the year to come. A new narration by by Gibson would be amazing. But I think, you know, you could do a, you could, if you want to pull out all the bells and whistles, you could do multi-voiced reading on that 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 could bring the house down because it's it's yep. one of the greatest novels of the 20th century, I think. Yeah, and it's definitely, you know, it's definitely on my personal list of of things that I would like to, you know, before I'm done with this, make sure that they actually get an audio, because it is. It's one of the best <laughs> books I've ever read. Before you retire? <laughs> yeah, before I retire. Before I'm done with this? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, we also we are also going to be publishing some of Stanislaw Lem's books. Oh, um, no kidding. Oh, my goodness. Which are also coming, uh, I think, probably also before the end of the year, I'm expecting. Are you going to do um, the Siberiad? We are it's a short one, story collection. Yeah, we've we've gone for a few of his novels, and I'd like some of it to be a surprise. But uh -huh. uh, we're starting with you know a few. One of them is Memoirs Found in a Bathtub, which I don't know if you've ever read that. I have not. Mm -hmm. no. I've heard of it. I've read it's a good it. one. I it. it's it's one that I had read years ago that that um, always stuck with me. So um, and there's another called His Master's Voice, and then the Siberiad I think is one of them also. So. Um, so that's coming, which I'm, you know, really excited about. And then, as I mentioned, also, uh, at the end of December, we're going to have the remainder of David Weber's Honor Harrington series. And, you know, as I said, for people who like these kind of big, whopping, long, long, long uh, listens, those are definitely right up their alley. And then in the, the final thing in January that I'm also very excited about is um, Gene Wolfe's The Book of the New Sun. No way. <laughs> You've just made my ear. Oh, you know what? That's probably the most requested audiobook that I've come across in in the years we've done SFF Audio. No, that's um, interesting. I've been asked several times, uh, is Book of the New Sun on audio? So, terrific. Good luck with that. That's going to be great. Yeah, and that's, um, you know, if, you, if you're familiar with the books, I mean, that's pretty challenging. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. But, uh, it's challenging. You know, the interesting thing about um, you know about doing fiction a lot of the time is that what can work on the printed page, uh, you know, books are not really written.
to be read out loud for the most part, unless you're talking about Dr. Seuss. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you, when you go to attack something that is as, you know, involved and as dense as the books in that series, it's a challenge. You know, you have to have just the right person who can really keep you engaged. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, find, I find that especially with epic fantasy in general. You know, epic fantasy is really about, and I'm not talking just about Gene Wolfe in particular here, but, you know, people like um, David, David Eddings, who we've uh, produced a number of books by, epic fantasy a lot of the time is about places and people with names you can't pronounce, and <laughs> totally concocted societies and language, especially. A lot of the time, there's just a use of language that's much different in that type of book than in just run-of-the-mill fiction. And so all of those things are really challenging to try to translate for the ear. And, and basically, when you're listening, you know, when you read a book and you get stuck, you know, or something you don't quite, that detail that doesn't quite um, click with you, you go back. Mm-hmm. You know, you kind of reread a little bit and you say, oh, yeah, now I remember who, you know, Gwynefar was uh, 93 pages ago. Right, you know, right. somebody who was mentioned in passing. And, you know, when you're listening, that's a real challenge. Um, I mean, a, a very good example of that is my wife listened to Metatropolis when we, when it, when we produced it. Mm. And she's now, I'm happy to say that Metatropolis spawned a book. It was actually published by Subterranean Press this summer mm-hmm. as a book. Mm-hmm. And she's going back now and rereading the book. And she said, oh, yeah, there's a couple of things, you know, that I didn't quite catch when I was listening. And now that I'm reading it, they're starting to click. And that's a real challenge, you know, for listening, um, yeah. especially when you consider people are listening while they're doing something else most of the time. Sure. And I've found listening is kind of a different experience anyway. Um, you know, because of the stuff that, that you guys publish, you know, especially, I, I get to revisit stuff sometimes that, you know, I had read this in print a long time ago and and now, uh, you know, listening to it on audio. But it's it's different somehow. Um you know, yeah, I like totally both experiences, experience. but it is, it is, uh, you know, it's, it's a different experience. I don't know if it uses a, you know, you just notice different things, I guess. Well, and a lot of it has to do with the performance also. You know, when you're reading a book, um, you internalize it yourself. You know, sometimes you might imagine the voices of the characters. You might imagine what they look like, all that kind of thing. When you're listening to an audio book, the narrator has made a creative choice about how they're going to bring those characters to life and how they're going to bring the narrative to life. And, you know, you have to buy into that. If you don't, if you don't buy into their portrayal, then it's not a great experience. So it's, it's just a much different thing listening rather than reading. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, of course, I, if it wasn't I, a different experience, then we would have no reason for being around. <laughs> <laughs> you bet. I remember talking to Stefan Rudnicki about that one time, and... Um, uh, it was with Ender's Game, you know, in the review that I wrote of Ender's Game. I was just commenting on how, you know, hey, here's a book that I read and loved, and listening to it on audio is just, you know, it's great all over again. So. Yeah, well, it's especially, it's especially uh, amusing when you listen to Harlan Ellison in the middle of that book. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> he pops up in there as one of the kind of, you know, secondary characters. Right, right. Yeah, I, I, is there any, any any possibility of getting him in uh, to narrate some Audible Frontiers? Because he's one of the the best narrators in in science fiction. Even when he's he's doing other people's books, he's he's really 
so enthusiastic and he brings a whole show to it, you know? Yeah, no, that's a, it's a it's an idea, you know. It's definitely an idea. I mean, he um, you mentioned Stefan Rudnicki, and he's definitely part of Stefan's crew. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, Stefan brings him into projects when uh, when he's producing them. So we kind of get the benefit of it, whether we produce it or somebody else does. To be honest. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, is there anything that you guys, if, if you guys had a wish list of um, <laughs> books, I'm sure that we could probably spend two hours talking about <laughs> it, but. What would your what would your top choices be? Well, you, you, you talk about Gene Wolfe, but again, this is in the short story area. Um, the guy is just an absolutely astounding short story writer, and to take uh, do a best of collection of his is one of my personal wishes. Um, but again, that's short stories, and, and I, I know that they uh, just don't do as well, like you said. Yeah, but well, you know, it's, nothing's out of the realm of possibility. Yeah, but he's tremendous. Well, uh, one author who I think would be really good to do a little bit more of is, or any of actually, is Jack Vance. Um, oh, yeah, he's, yeah. he's he's sort of been You've done completely... some Jack Vance, haven't you? Uh, we haven't. Actually, there's an interesting project that um, our sister company, Brilliance Audio, is doing. It's coming out, I'm pretty sure it's next month. It's a tribute anthology oh. uh, to Jack Vance, where other writers have written stories that I assume are kind of either in his style or maybe spinning off of his stories. Mm-hmm. And that's um, coming out in November. So that actually fits the bill for both you guys. It's Jack Vance and it's short stories. Yeah, yeah, that sounds good. And, um, uh, well, I love novels too. But. <laughs> yeah, we, we're actually, we will be producing uh, some of his novels, uh, uh, I would say, oh, early right. next year. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's definitely neat. on the radar. Tim Powers is another fella who's not on audio anywhere that I know of. Um, He's got he's got a book I'm reading it right now on Stranger Tides, which may or may not be the basis for the another Pirates movie. I've heard that the Pirates movie may not be a go, but um, on Stranger Tides is the subtitle of it. But uh, he's written one called Declare, um, uh, Drawing of the Dark. Anyway, he's uh, he's excellent. Consider it noted. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, especially that's one if of the you like the things. Cold War stuff. I mean, Declare is one that uh, might. Oh, okay. I'm not. I I know of him, but I'm actually not familiar with his uh, with his book. So I'm yeah. check them out for sure. Right. I mean, that's one of the fun things about this is that the um, you know the possibilities are all over the place. Uh-huh. You know, it's really fun to just try to hunt down new and interesting writers and and just you know older books that have been on my shelf for years. I mean, that's really the fun part of the job. Yeah. And, you know, as I've said before, that when you produce them in audio, it's like you are introduced, you know, potentially introducing them to a whole new audience, which is very satisfying. Sure. One, one other uh, question I, I'd like to pose about, you know, what, what people are asking for is um, the Seeing Air Theater stuff done by Sci-Fi Channel a while ago. You've got a few of them that were released on CD and then, you know, to Audible, like uh, the Neil Gaiman uh, two plays for voices. But yeah, I think what happened with the what happened with those is that the rights, you know, again when we talk about rights, I think the rights lapsed for those. And in fact, um, oh, who was I talking to? Who wrote? It might have been uh, James Patrick Kelly, Jim Kelly, mm-hmm. was somebody who uh, either wrote one of the treatments or hit, or was based on his story, who you know said that the rights situation is really it, it's confused because we did have them for a period of time, but. Um, 
I think the rights to distribute those recordings went away, which is, you know, which is a frustration that I feel sometimes because there are, you can have a recording um, that you can still buy in some way, like you can go to Amazon and there might be a CD that's for sale. Exactly. But a lot of the time, a lot of the time that's because there's X number, they have what's called a, a sell-off period, where if the rights lapse, the um, publisher is allowed to sell off the CDs that, you know, the copies that still exist. And right. so those can go on for years because, you know, maybe two people buy it this year and three people buy it next year, but it's still listed there. And so, as you might imagine, we get a lot of customers who say, hey, I see there are CDs for X out there. How come you guys don't have, don't have it? it? And that's one reason. The other is that, particularly for older recordings that, you know, we're talking about 20, 25-year-old cassette recordings, when those recordings were created, there was no such thing as digital distribution. You know, it just wasn't imagined. Nobody imagined that you would be able to distribute audio files, uh, you know, by a computer. And so when those contracts were written, they didn't contemplate things like being able to download an audiobook. And so as a result, we don't have what's called digital rights. In other words, we don't have the right to distribute them and sell them digitally because it's not in the original contract. And one of the things that we do over the course of time is we try to work with uh, the other audio publishers and sometimes the print publishers and agents to rectify that, you know, to go back and try to establish or clear digital rights so that some of these recordings that are out there, uh, we can sell them. And that's a, you know, it's a pretty concerted effort that we do across the board. But, you know, just in the same way as uh, trying to crack a dead author's estate, yeah. It's, it's sometimes it's a real puzzle to put all that together, but we're always in there trying. Uh, the 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 series that I'm thinking of specifically was called "The City of Dreams" by J. Michael Straczynski. Now that Audible's got a, a full stereo, you know, enhanced audio quality, it's it'd be like the all the the premier series. It was never released on CD, unlike uh, the, they did a uh, another horror anthology that was available on CD through Harper Audio for a brief time and they, a few other plays. This one was never released um, huh. on oh, CD. So it, it, if, if the rights can be found, um, you know, it would be, it would be a, along the lines of the recently released through Audible, um, uh, Bradbury 13. It's, it's, a, it's just an amazing audio drama. Well, I've scribbled it down. Okay. Um, uh, what, what's the story on uh, how the Bradbury... Was the Bradbury 13 done through Audible, or was that a... No, uh, I'm trying to remember who... Is that Blackstone or something? Them. It might be Blackstone. Okay. And, that, you know, that's a case of where, uh, you know, they probably went to the rights holder and just, you know, figured out a distribution deal with them. Because, you know, everyone's kind of out there. You know, in an ideal world, everything that qualifies as an audiobook or a spoken word would be available digitally and we'd be able to sell it. Um, so there are you know, folks out there all the time, not just us, but the other audio publishers who are also trying to figure out ways to crack those rights and, and get them squared away and then be able to sell them because um, you know, we, we'd like to sell as many different things as we possibly can. One, one other idea to throw at you. I was just reading... Uh Mary Berkey, who runs the uh, book book list audio booker blog, 
uh, is, ta- is going to do a story about audiobooks as um, uh, for reading groups, you know, um, mm-hmm. what reading groups are available that uh, admit audio members. You know, if you don't come in with your copy of the book, I'll note it up. Well, what are you allowed in the group? Because uh, there's, so, there's sort of a, a disparity between some paper listeners, uh, paper readers and audiobook listeners. Um, are, is there any way to, to integrate some sort of, um, uh, I don't know, audiobook reading plan so that, you know, the month, this month's book is this and, you know, everybody gets, you know, a 10, 10 cent discount or whatever it is so that they can all be focused. I, I think that'd be a great way to draw attention to, you know, some, some of the older, you, know, you could have like an older one and a newer book uh, each month. I, I know that that would sort of fit in right with the Audible plan. That, I think that would be a terrific way to... Yeah, it's an idea that we've we've talked about, and we um, haven't quite yet figured out how to make it work. But I think it's interesting. The notion that you hit on, which uh, which I think is absolutely true, is um, and in fact there was a story in the New York Times over the past year where they talked exactly about that about book groups where people would come in and say, "I listened to the book," and that was somehow not good enough. You know, it's yeah. not really reading. Um, which of course we think is ridiculous. You know, yes. mm-hmm. you just have to think we, we it just, through. I mean, you, you, otherwise blind people could never read anything, right? It doesn't yeah, make right. any sense. Right. So that wouldn't count. But uh, yeah, it is. It's interesting. In fact, I think the current the current book right now that I know a lot of book groups are doing, and I know that uh, just in general, and also because my wife's book group is taking up next is um, a book called The Help by the author's name. I think is Catherine Stockett. And it's a book about, it, it, it takes place in the South, and it's about three women who are basically household help. Um, and it's, I would say, I, I think it's gotten the best reviews of any book on our site ever, the recording. Oh, um, yeah, I think 2,000 it was, reviews, yeah. It's, it's, it's 2,000 yeah, reviews and, just, and four and a half stars. So Yeah, I mean, high. totally rhapsodic reviews. You know, the, uh, it's, it's, done by, uh, it, it's done with three different voices. And it's really terrific. Um, but that's an example, I think, where I know with my wife's book group, I mentioned that, you know, if, if you might want to do something different, you might want to listen to it because the performance is just so great that it's going to make the book come alive to you. And also, you know, it's a way, I, you know, I think one of the hardest things with book groups is that people come in and half the people haven't even finished the book because, uh, you know, sometimes it's who has time to read. Well, if you are listening, you, you can certainly use your time a little bit more efficiently than when you're sitting on the train commuting for 45 minutes in each direction or, you know, going out for long walks or whatever you're doing, that it is a, it is a great way to maximize the time that we have because everybody's, you know, always looking to have more time to do things. It's true. Yesterday, just yesterday, I, I thought, oh, uh, we've got that interview with Steve coming up. And he he recommended this book Hopscotch. I better get on that. And so I downloaded it in the morning, and um, I'm more than halfway through. And uh, I really didn't have a lot of listening time yesterday. But it's you know it's an eight hour book, so that's pretty impressive. Yeah. Um, you yeah. can get a lot of a lot of reading done just by uh, having your audiobook player with you wherever you go. Yeah. You know the irony is that for me, I I don't have a very long commute. So I have to carve out, you know, I use that for some listening time, and I have to carve out other time to listen because I need, you know, obviously in the line of work that I'm in, I need to 
listen to as much as possible and just kind of keep up. And not only listening to our own stuff, but just things that interest me. Um, I feel so bad for you. That's that's just terrible. Yep. Yep. I mean, we have we have folks in our office who really just sit there all day with their headphones on. You know, Can and I they're voracious. <laughs> yeah. And actually, we have we've got a number of audiobook uh, clubs in our office. Oh. Where we have groups groups that get together and and listen and talk about books and we take out time during the day. And it's not only enjoyable, but it really gets everybody involved in the business that they're in. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you should throw a microphone in that room and put it up as a free Audible podcast. You would get a lot of lot of response from, you know, that. I it might, it might, you know, people might feel a little, little more censored, you know, about what, what they're saying. But um, after, you know, you do it long enough, uh, it would, it would, that would generate a lot of interest. Cause I, you yeah, know, that's actually what, an interesting what, idea. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com.